Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and I'm very happy to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in with us. It's great to be able to open the Bible again and learn the feet of Jesus. I would like to welcome my panel today, and I will start with Ken. We missed you, Ken, for a while, but good to have you back. Thank you very much, Nick. Good to be here again today. And also, Marek, uh, it's good to have you with us also. Nice to be here. Will, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. And Brenton, pleasure to have you. Thank you, Nick. It's a, a, a privilege, actually, to share God's Word. Lijay is also here with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm very delighted to be here, part of the Bible study. We have a full house today, as you can see. Helen is our facilitator. Thank you for joining us, Helen, and preparing this Bible study. Thank you, Nick. Beautiful day today, I tell you. I'm so pleased to be here. And Helen, it's over to you. Thank you very much. Okay. One of the authors that I enjoy is Mark Finley, and he opens a chapter in his book with children are our best teachers and grandchildren are the best of all. When Dyson, our grandson, was in the second grade, he was standing in line waiting for the morning bell to ring, eager to go into his classroom. The little girl in front of him looked down at his new shoes, hesitated for a moment, and then said, I think your shoes are ugly. Without giving in much thought, our grandson looked down at her shoes and commented, I think your shoes are beautiful. And immediately her attitude changed. Kindness fosters kindness. And the wise man who wrote Proverbs 15.1 said, he was right, he said, a soft answer turns away wrath. It's not how people act towards us, but how we react towards them. And our attitude towards others often determines their response toward us. Have you ever noticed that when you smile at someone, they usually smile back? And have you also seen that when you respond with an unexpected compliment, other people generally respond positively? When you believe the best about others, it lifts their spirits and encourages their hearts. But before we go any further, we're going to pause for a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, it's such a privilege to be here today to share your word. Heavenly Father, your word is so important to every soul on the face of the earth. And it's a delight for us to put your words out to all the people that are listening. We pray, Lord God, for all these people that their hearts would be opened that they would be fed spiritually, Lord God, that they can look into your things, learn from your word, grow from your word, accept your word, and become Christians, Heavenly Father. We all need to hear the words of the Living Bible every day, and we just thank you, Lord, again for this wonderful opportunity we have today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. God has placed within every individual a hunger for God. And when we approach people with this knowledge, we can engage them with confidence, knowing that whether they realize it or not, their soul is hungry for God. And I think panel members probably have all experienced that along the way. Understanding this, Jesus had no problem believing in people. He was not discouraged by those who seemed least interested in his messages. And in this week's study, we will see how Jesus believed in people and we will examine his attitude toward even the ones when others cast off he approached a samaritan woman a jewish scribe a roman soldier a canaanite seeker a woman of ill repute and in each instance jesus looked for the best he presented the truth 
but always in love. And well, Jesus never exhibited a tinge even of pride or superiority. He saw in every human being one created in the image of God, yet fallen by sin and uh, whom he came to save. No one was beyond his love. None had fallen so low that his grace could not reach them. He showed respect to all that he came in contact with and treated them with the dignity they deserved. Jesus influenced people for the kingdom because he believed in people. Their lives were changed in his presence and he cared for them so deeply. They rose to become what he believed they could be. What a tremendous uh, incentive they have when people are treated well. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. Um, it reminds me of a teacher that went to a school once and he was given the class that was the worst class of all. And he believed that they were the, the top class. And when he walked in, he treated them as the most intellectual in the top class. And it wasn't long before the class actually re- responded and they became the top class of the school. So it does have a bearing, doesn't it? The foundation of Jesus' um, message was acceptance, forgiveness, grace, and a hope of a new life. He never minimized the value of truth, but he always presented the truth in love. And I think there's a lesson for us right there. The goal of this study um, that we're having today is to discover how to apply Jesus' methods in our daily witness. So let's consider Christ's interaction, firstly, with the Samaritan woman. John 4, 3 and 4 says he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. First of all, Helen, a little background on the Samaritans. When the Jews returned from captivity under uh, firstly Ezra and later Nehemiah, they encountered the Samaritans who were part Jew and part uh, heathen. The Samaritans were the people who were left behind when Israel was taken into captivity in 722 BC. And the Assyrians, who were their conquerors, had introduced heathen people into the land who intermingled, mixed, intermarried with the Israelites that were remaining. And the Samaritans were the products of, of them. What's interesting is they set up a rival temple to the Jews. They had a rival priesthood. And so for Christ to go through Samaria when he didn't really have to, most Jews who travelled from Galilee to Judea went across the Jordan River, down the other side, and then back into Judea. Christ came directly from Galilee into Samaria. I believe what he had was what we call a divine appointment. He didn't have to go through there, but I believe his father through the Holy Spirit directed him to go there because he had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. Thank you, Brenton. Ken, could you read for us, please, John four nineteen and 20? We're reading from the uh, King James Version here. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus got into a long theological debate with her, Ken. No, it was very interesting, I believe, what Jesus said. He, he didn't actually speak to her as one who was um, you know, trying to overcome her in any way with the knowledge that he had. But as Brendan just said a, a moment ago uh, about the love he, he had for people, 
Jesus obviously had a love for this woman. He also realized that this woman uh, was going to take on board what he said. And so he kept it very simple. And of course, there wouldn't have been much use arguing with her because uh, as as we have learned ourselves, I'm sure over the years, once you get into arguments with people, uh, then walls go up and it's very difficult to make a connection with them. So Jesus saw her, uh, saw the best in her as he, he did with most people. And uh, he realized that he, through her, many people were going to believe the words that he was going to share with her. Thank you, Ken. Perhaps I can ask the panel a question. What do you think was her greatest need? Well, according to um, the word of God, her greatest need was to recognise that she was a sinner. Just prior to this, he had pointed out the fact to her that she'd had five husbands. The man she was now living with was not her husband. And prior to that, he had suggested to her that um, the drink that he had asked for from her from the well, he could actually supply her with living water. And she became rather interested in uh, this living water, but first she had to recognise her need. So what's happening here is Christ is actually unveiling gently and lovingly, but nevertheless uh, showing that she's a great sinner and that what he wants to offer her is the solution to her need. The soil of the heart needs to be prepared before the gospel seed can be sown. Yes. And um, before it can have the best chance of growing and maturing, I think that the seed of truth is precious and cannot be scattered just onto hard paths to uh, shrivel. And theological argument at the time um, and now does little to prepare soil for the reception of truth. So, so true. Merrick? Well, it's kind of a, an interesting setting. It's the middle of the day, it's hot, he's tired, he's hungry. He's just uh, covered a fair bit of ground, walking across, coming into the in, into her territory, and so forth. But you know what's what's really amazing when we look at the attitude of Christ. He is sitting down, politely speaking to this woman. Now it's interesting when we look at attitudes. Attitudes can have multiple components. There's a cognitive component. There's an emotional component. There's a behavioural component. You know, he didn't stand over her, speaking down to her. He was actually the one sitting down. He was the one making a request of her, yeah. requesting a drink of water. I'm sure that the tone of his voice, the very posture that he adopted, were all components of Christ's attitude that really appealed to the woman, established a, um, the right sort of environment, the right atmosphere to be able to speak to her to reach and address the needs of a heart. And so I think it's important for us to realize that there are some things that we might say, but there are also some things that we might do in terms of our behavior that reflect our attitude. And I'm very impressed with the way Christ approached the sitting down, being relaxed, the tone of voice, the subject matter that he rises, all of these things were exceptionally conducive to establishing a non-threatening setting where he could address some of the deeper spiritual needs that this woman obviously presented with. No, oh, Merrick, thank you. That was excellent. I, one word that I was looking for when I said what was her greatest need, 
um, that didn't come out yet, and that's the word acceptance. And I think by what you were just saying then, Marek, that Jesus sat down and, you know, calmly talked to her, it was like he accepted her regardless of the fact that they were supposed to be bitter enemies. And I think that was one of the, the ones. But, you know, what was the result of Jesus' interaction with this woman? What was the, the result? Helen, uh, we see actually that this woman was greatly moved by the words that Jesus said and went back to her village and started to tell everyone what uh, about this, this man she had met and what he had said. And, of course, the people were very, very interested to, to see this. I also find it interesting that this lady also knew the scriptures because she had said to Jesus earlier on that when the Messiah comes, comes, he will uh, tell us all things. And, of course, Jesus said, I am the Messiah. This woman actually knew the scriptures and was waiting for the Messiah to come. But getting back to exactly what you specifically asked, there was the whole city basically came to the well to see Jesus and hear his words. Yeah, uh, just before, Lydia, just before we have a comment from you, um, Mary, would you read John four twenty-seven to 30 and 39 to 42 for us, please? Okay. Then, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. Isn't that just amazing? Look what a testimony can do. And the, the interesting thing I find is that she was so excited, she forgot about her reputation, and she was literally a witness, wasn't she? Okay, let's see what was the result, or the ultimate result of Jesus' ministry in Samaria. Yes, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, I can read, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of the disciples, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous sign he did, signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. So it means uh, the disciples were scattered everywhere and they preached and proclaimed Christ's word and the people that heard their words, they, they paid close attention, then their hearts were receptive. So when we saw the seeds of God, we don't need to uh, expect immediate results because the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and one day they will bring a harvest for the glory of God. Thank you, Lydia. Anybody else want to make a comment? Christ saw the harvest being ready when he passed through Samaria, but the results of that harvest weren't seen until some time later when when Philip came and preached and thousands were converted. So there were some conversions when Christ preached to them, but the bigger numbers came when Philip visited the area. It's good uh, to mention right now that um, 
we as uh, followers of Jesus Christ and uh, with passion to share the good news, the gospel, with as many people as possible, we should not have that um, mindset that we need to see people accepting uh, what we sharing and what we say. We should show the love of God. We should show how Jesus transformed and changed our lives as he transformed Philip's life. And Philip was able to reflect the character of Jesus in his own life and the results as we just read in, uh, in these passages of the Bible. Thank you, Nick. Brenton? Just a quick comment, Helen. Going back uh, from Acts chapter 8 to, Acts, uh, to John chapter 4, the important point for this whole uh, bringing of this village to Christ was that the woman went into the city and said, come and see. Now, when you talk about discipleship, discipleship is inviting someone else to come and see for themselves what Jesus Christ is like. This has a parallel in John chapter 1, where Philip went and uh, met Nathaniel and uh, said, we have found Jesus, the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And, um, of course, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of that dump? And Philip said, come and see. I think the important point here is that, firstly, in John chapter 4, the woman invites the men of the city to come and see. Many people, there are two conversions here. Many people actually come and see Jesus as a result of the woman's testimony and accept him. But later on, they hear him for themselves. So I think there's a method or a methodology here. You invite people to come and see Jesus. That is based primarily on what you know of Jesus and your experience with Jesus. But they have to, at some point, meet Jesus for themselves. And I think in the second group, they said, we believe not because of what you've said, but we have heard him for ourselves. And we believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Hmm. Thank you, Brenton. Ken? Yeah, I just wanted to add a little bit in that. I think it's important. I'm sorry if I'm uh, going a little bit off track here, but one of the things about uh, sharing the gospel with other people is that sometimes, uh, actually a lot of the time, they're not necessarily interested and we think perhaps, well, that was a waste of time, but we actually are forgetting that we're actually sowing a seed and sometimes that seed is not going to grow for maybe weeks, months, perhaps even years. So it's still important to sow that seed. I think that's uh, a really important thing to think about. And, and quickly again, uh, you know, Jesus intentionally passed through Samaria. Sometimes we need to do that, uh, uh, you know, we need to evaluate, if you like, a situation and have an intentional approach. Now, the tendency of uh, humans are, if they don't see results, they are giving up and uh, move on, you know, do other things. Now, we should just do whatever the Holy Spirit encourages us to do and leave the rest of it to God. So true. Okay, well, let's move on to another story, this time about a woman whom a Jew would have considered an outcast from God, untouchable and unwillable. Brenton, would you share with us, please, Matthew fifteen twenty-one to 28? Certainly, Helen. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. 
son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumb which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, what's interesting about this is, um, firstly, Jesus has left the uh, geographical environment of Galilee and he's gone into an area which is almost totally heathen but does have a number of Jews living in the, in the area. What I find significant, Helen, about this story is that she comes to him and calls him son of David, which is actually a recognition of him as the Messiah. Now, whether she knew this from her neighbours who lived around her who may have been of Jewish origin or whether she had heard anecdotally of Christ's miracles, it seems as though she came to him with an attitude of willingness, believing that he could help her. His approach is particularly instructive. He was approaching her the way a Jewish rabbi or a Jew would approach a heathen. He was approaching her as though he was diffident, as though he really wasn't interested. But I think she, what the Bible doesn't bring out, Helen, um, <laughs> unfortunately, is it does not bring out non-verbals. It does not bring out the body language. I believe Christ's body language here was very, very receptive, and she could see this. This is why she kept urging her petition. And when she gets to the point where he says it's not meat to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, the Greek word there is kunarion, and it is not talking about scavenger dogs that roamed around in the countryside that were unclean, that ate carrion, that ate various other things. It's actually talking about little dogs, puppies, about pets. Pets were actually allowed in their culture inside. And for him to make this comment that, well, I give the food to the children, but if the crumbs fall on the table, she's saying, well, Lord, even the dogs, the little pets are entitled to pick up the scraps that are left. And I think Jesus can see her great faith, which he recognises here. And he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Do you realise when you study Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that most of the plaudits or most of the praise that Jesus gave to people for their faith was not given to Jews? It was primarily given to people who were outside the Jewish culture. And I find this particularly instructive. I, I think Jesus is saying, keep asking, woman. Keep asking because I'm going to grant you your request because I can see that you've got great faith. The other thing that it is teaching is it's teaching the disciples that Christ, as I think Marek said earlier on, Christ is not recognizing the barriers of class, of race or religion. He is recognizing all people as equal and all deserving of his love and compassion. 
And this must have been a very signal lesson to the disciples because you find this same principle adopted when the, the, the gospel eventually goes to the Gentiles in the book of Acts. Okay, well, let's move on. There is another woman that um, is coming into our study today, but Jesus spoke to a somewhat more gentle this time than at other times. So let's have a look at it in Mark fourteen six to 9. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Surely I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her. And this is an interesting story here in uh, Mark 14. It's a reading from 6 to 9. Jesus was having a meal. Uh, it was uh, the time of the unleavened bread. And he was in a home just having a meal. And this lady approached him. He was having, there was other people there uh, having food with him. He was in the house in Bethany uh, of Simon the leper, the Bible tells us. And as he was sitting having a meal, this woman approached him without saying a word. And she had a very, very expensive uh, box of alabaster, uh, which had been sealed. It was brand new, never ever been opened. And it was worth an awful lot of money. And she walked over to him, opened the box, and began to apply this beautiful smelling and very expensive oil all over his head. And the other people round about were actually shocked that she was wasting this extremely expensive box of perfume on the head of Jesus. They really didn't understand it. And she was very happy to do it. And Jesus was very happy to receive it, so much so that he... It included it in the scriptures when the scriptures were written so that it would be a memorial forever to this lady and, and we don't even know her name. So it was a very interesting uh, uh, job that was done. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, it's interesting we're both ladies. Jesus held them up, didn't he, for their faith. But in light of that, panel, I would like to ask you to give your opinion on what are the essentials of a positive winning attitude. Would someone like to volunteer? Please. Well, I I think Helen, there's there's a number of things to have a winning attitude, not only in our Christian walk but just everyday walk. And I think I'm speaking personally, not saying everyone will agree, but but my way is uh, to be happy inside. I think if you're not happy inside, it's a bit hard to express happiness outside. <laughs> so if you're happy inside and uh, always. Try to have a smile on your face if that's possible as well. That, I mean, that's really like, um, it's like if you have a TV, but you don't switch it on, but when you switch it on, you can see what's happening. So if you have a smile on your face, and of course, anything positive that you can say about that person or whatever they're doing. Now, as an example, sometimes when I'm in shopping centers, you see these, it's usually ladies going around pulling a, pushing a horn, hand carts and they're they're sweeping up and I'll often walk over to them and say you're doing a fabulous job here you keep this place so nice and I'm sure some of these people may be thinking oh this isn't a great job and no one appreciates what I'm doing but again without these people we wouldn't have very nice places to walk through so it's always nice to give somebody words of encouragement 
and uh, it's it's sincerely meant. Okay. And Helen, you asked a question a bit earlier, did you? Yes, I did. What are the essentials of a positive winning attitude? Absolutely. Uh, what I was going to say here, you may remember last uh, study we had, last Bible study, we talked about Jesus' method alone. Do you remember that uh, four S's? I suddenly thought of mingling, but there was socializing was one of them, and saving was the final one, wasn't it? <laughs> now, uh, what I want to say here is that tendency of humans is to present their views and they thinking that how they understand is the best. And they want other people to understand what they understand because otherwise they say, oh, where are these people from other world? They don't, you see? But if we apply Jesus' method, then we cannot go wrong because he's the master. And as um, you said, Helen, now the, the, um, that formula or four S's is, you know, that socialize, sympathize, serve, and save people. Uh, and Jesus did that so brilliantly. Jesus accomplished in his ministry and gave us an example that we should not be just have a mindset of just convincing people of their wrongdoing or their sins, but we should feel with them. We should make friends with them. And our um, study for this period of time is how to make friends for God. And our desire, I believe, each one of us is how can we grow together the family of God? How can we work together? Because, you know, even in a family, sometimes we have so many dysfunctional atmosphere there. But we want to work together to to really feel as a good family. And then to really work nicely together, we need to listen to the master. We need to follow his example. Thank you, Nick, very much. Um, I think that's a good a good one. At least I remember two of them, but I think we should take that into our, our minds because that's how Jesus ministered, socializing, sympathetic. He was serving and he came to save. Thank you for that. Brenton. Helen, uh, the comment actually is this. Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence, and then he said, follow me. I think the first one was he showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs and won their confidence, and then he said, follow me. Mm. Helen, it's interesting to me that when others were criticising the lady that was breaking this expensive uh, uh, ointment, when others were criticising her, Jesus was complimenting her and uh, approving her of her actions. And I think it's the whole attitude that we have or that Jesus had that makes all the difference when you're trying to tell people about the gospel and the good news. In fact, I believe that if we would humble ourselves before God, be kind, courteous, tender-hearted, and pitiful. There would be 100 conversions to the truth where there is now only one. That is so true, Will. Well, we need to take that to heart, don't we? Okay, one word keeps coming through my mind again, um, and I think I brought it out before uh, when I was talking about the woman at the well, what one of her needs was. And our study, through our study, it's, it's a, the word acceptance. There are a couple of good texts in scripture that can help us with that. And um, Bridget, would you read Romans fifteen seven, please? Yes. 
It says, accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we have to accept one another as we are. That's very important, isn't it? I mean, you, Christ accepts us. You know, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And I think about that and I think how many of us would die for a friend, but how many of us would actually literally die for an enemy? Mm. And you think about the worst enemy you've ever had and, and really would we die for them? And yet, you know, we need to love. Nick, can you read Ephesians 4.32, please? Yes, sure. Uh, and it's just continuing what, uh, you know, Lija is, was sharing. Um, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, this is very important to look again at the example of Jesus Christ and uh, not to hold on our own feelings or uh, desires we have. Because too many times... When we read these words, even like this, like be kind to one another, tender-hearted, many times we are thinking of the other people who are not tender-hearted, who are not kind to me. You know, we are defending all the time uh, ourselves instead of looking at our own need, regardless of how other people are acting. I need to be the one to put in place this teaching, you know, this understanding, not to require for others to do that, because this is the tendency of humanity to just uh, point out the mistakes and wrongdoings of other people and not being able to see. And Jesus himself said that things. How well can see how to take out um, the um, speck yeah, out of others' eye, but you cannot take it from your eye, the, the big log in your eye. Yeah, I, I believe... When we read these words, we really need to, to think of ourselves rather than uh, others to change their lives. Okay, I, thank you, Nick. I'd like to make a comment about forgiving others. You know, when Jesus looks at us, yes, we're all sinners, every one of us, but he loves us. He doesn't necessarily like what we do, but he loves us, and I think that should be our attitude towards other people. We can love people. And but not like what they do, but we can still learn to love them through Christ. Sometimes, though, it is difficult um, to love someone, but what should our attitude be, you know, all the time? Merrick? There's a, there's a beautiful comment which says, genuine acceptance means that we accept people where they are. That is a precious thought because when we look at the example of Christ, what happened when the Samaritan accepted Jesus? They invited him to stay with them for two days. Did he decline because he was a Jew? Absolutely not. He accepted their hospitality, even though they were a despised people. And so in accepting people, it sometimes means when we are invited, we will join them around their table, sharing food with them, we'll uh, accept their hospitality in terms of staying with them. Jesus taught in their streets. He treated them with uttermost kindness and courtesy. And along that line, there is a beautiful statement in Desire of Ages, page 194. His followers may despise and shun the outcast ones, but no circumstance of birth or nationality, no condition of life can turn away his love from the children of men. I like that. In accepting people, we accept where they are, 
we accept them as they are and we bring a little bit of sunshine into their lives by just joining them for a meal, staying under their roof, engaging with them out on the street in the community. I love that and Christ just exemplified that so beautifully in his, uh, in his approach to people. Thank you, Marek. That was worth hearing. Will? Helen, I think that we are inclined sometimes to prejudge people. We're inclined to just, uh, um, well, we, we see only on the outside, and I'm glad that God always looks on the heart. Um, I may, if I may just mention, I was about 11 years old, and I visited the town Brackburn in South Africa, with a group of boys, my friends, to swim in the council swimming pool. And on quite a few occasions, we saw a woman pushing an ancient black pram with unusually large wheels, but there was never a baby in it, up and down the streets. And the pram was heavily laden with what looked like a lot of magazines and books. And the children, all the children I knew were afraid of her. In fact, the rumor went around, she's a witch. They uh, and always she was always dressed in long flowing black dress with a black hat and a black veil, and she was an oddity in the streets. You know, some thirty years passed, and I met and married a girl from that very town. One day, I happened to ask my mother-in-law whether she had encountered that strange woman with an un, with the old-fashioned pram. My mom-in-law said, "I knew her well." She was a brilliant musician. She played several instruments and was a concert pianist with a doctorate in music. She developed back trouble and a specialist had discouraged her from carrying heavy books um, from one studio on one side of the town to the other studio on the opposite end. Her condition made it unadvisable for her to drive a car and the medical opinion was that if she could hold on to something to steady herself and do as much walking as possible, it would be beneficial for her spine. And there was our witch, our witch, doctor of music. And I thought much since I was a child, if only we could see behind the facade, not judge from a just distance, we might have known much better. And I think this is our problem. We don't see the potential in people always, but Jesus saw the potential in the woman at the well, and he saw the potential in the lady that, um, that, that wet his feet with that expensive ointment. Thank you so much, Will. And also, I would like to say here, can we fall under the um, temptation of saying that because Jesus said that we have to accept people as they are, then we should not um, stand for the truth? What I would like to say here is that Jesus' attitude was not do whatever you please. It's all all right. I still accept you. Whatever you do, I mean, I still accept you. Do whatever you like. Is, was this Jesus' attitude? His attitude was rather no matter what you have done, I am willing to forgive you and provide you with the power of change. This is the biblical teaching. I used to use this phrase a lot myself when I came in uh, in a conflict of this ideology of uh, you should not judge or say, and I'm not judging, but you should just accept people as they are. And I used to 
developed this phrase for myself. I said, I will accept everyone. And I like to accept everyone as they are for a change. Mm. If you don't provide that change or that possibility which they can change, what's the benefit of just accepting them? Because the love which God wants us to share with other people is to care about themselves, to care about their eternal life and salvation is not just to accept them how they are and uh, show that how a good person I am, that I'm very caring, understanding, and I'm, you know, accepting everyone. We accept everyone to be able to share the good news, the gospel, then they can be changed. Mm, Thank you so much, Nick. Um, Ken, how can we present Bible truth? In what way? Well, I think we have to look at the attitude of Jesus. <clears throat> he was not, do whatever you please, it's all right, I still accept you. His attitude was rather, no matter what you have done, I am willing to forgive you and provide you with party change, as Nick was saying. Biblical truth presented humbly in Christ's spirit with a loving attitude wins hearts and changes lives. And if we are to personify the way that Jesus did, we have to accept and try to do the same thing that Jesus did and as because then accept people with an open heart and try to meet them on their level. And unlike Jesus, we can't see into their head and into their life. Many people have many, many problems and issues. In some cases, very serious. And in, in some cases, they may be carrying the weight of the world, which we can't see. And we may be having an absolutely wonderful day and nothing could improve. But for these people, the day may not be a good day at all. So it would be really good perhaps to, as as we look at them and, and we're not getting much of a response, perhaps realize, well, maybe they're having a really tough time and I should really treat them with soft gloves on. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mary. A beautiful statement comes to mind, if I can share it with you. The Savior never suppressed the truth, but he uttered it always in love. He was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave unnecessary pain to a sensitive soul. He never made truth cruel, but ever manifested a deep tenderness for humanity. Every soul was precious in his sight. He bore himself with divine dignity, yet he bowed with the tenderest compassion and regard to every member of the family of God. He saw in all souls whom it was his mission to save. You know, the love just oozes out of that statement, mm-hmm. the acceptance, the compassion for people. What a beautiful description of Christ's approach and attitude towards people. That's a winning attitude. Mm. Amen. But how do we get that same attitude, Merrick? Well, very clearly, no matter where they were, he saw something positive in them. When we see that positive aspect in people's you know, lives, uh, when we see the potential, when we compliment them, it's that positive mindset in our minds that provides us with the winning attitude. We don't look for the bad. We don't look for the things that we might criticize we look for the good, we look for the potential, and in every soul he saw the potential that could be 
if they would respond to his word. That's a winning attitude. Absolutely. And, and Marek, Absolutely. just uh, just on that point, uh, considering in the you know um, times we live in, when many many people are considering uh, and saying probably this even loud to themselves, I'm good of nothing. You know they uh, you know they have a uh, lots of people have low self esteem because uh, the enemy. It's uh, you know planting if you like that seed or mm. good for nothing, but Jesus knows that we are we are we are so valuable, we are so precious in His sight. Yeah, just need to understand that and to hear that. And as you just said, I'm 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 taking those words. People need to hear that they are lovable people you know they they have good in themselves even they even though they may think that they are good for nothing yeah. do you think that, yeah do you think that the three women that we have considered today that they enjoyed a very positive self attitude i don't think so you know the woman who has had five husbands and was living with a de facto no way possible the woman who was anointing his feet positive attitude no but what they did have is faith mm. and sometimes it's the people who are really low the people who have hit rock bottom who know that they can no longer trust in their own abilities and look towards other people those people turn spiritually to god they know their need and i think those people are very very receptive much more than we would sometimes suspect um lots of examples i i i uh, philip yancy has a beautiful example where he was speaking to a women's conference and eventually a prostitute spoke up about her own perspective what was it that jesus focused on prostitutes and named their profession and she says we are so low we are so downcast and looked down upon that sometimes when we hit that rock bottom that is when we are most receptive to the encouraging word to the yeah. word from god yeah. thanks eric yeah richard uh, there is a text in the bible i can't remember exactly where it is but i have to research it says uh, look in others that they are above you and uh, yeah this text it's it's really meaningful to me so we have to see see people not for what they are but for what they might become this is what what jesus did mm. he saw in people potential so we also have to see in other people potential for what they might become mm. thank you brenton uh just quickly i think we need to recognize um thank you marek for your comment on those three women um i think we need to recognize that humanism uh teaches people that they have self-worth there is a vast difference between the humanistic teaching of what self-worth is i believe there are some similarities but there are a lot of differences between that and the self-worth that we have when we recognize that we are god's sons and daughters because what god's sons and daughters recognize is that we have a responsibility to those around about us we are saved by grace and we can see that these people also can be saved by grace um 
God has poured out that grace on us and we're in a position to share that grace with others. I think there's a difference between that and the attitude that you get in society that it's all about me, it's all about my self-worth and all, all those things. We could spend the rest of the time debating this, but I believe it's actually very important to conceptually differentiate between the humanistic self-worth and the self-worth that comes from knowing that we are sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Brenton. Ken? Yes, I, I just wanted to add to that uh, something I'm sure we've all heard it and know the words of it, but when we look at other people's circumstances and perhaps other people, uh, I think sometimes it would be good to bear in mind that there go I, but for the grace of God. Yes. So we really are exceptionally well-blessed and perhaps it's good to remember that. Thank you, Will. In Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel says, Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Aviv, and that dwelt by the river Chebar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there, astonished among them seven days. The circumstances there is he could see the plight of the exiles, understood their feelings, and uh, he could more easily identify with the captive people. When he sat down, he sat where they sat, he experienced what they experienced, and by this sort of uh, identification, he, uh, he felt a greater, he felt that he could provide in their needs. Thank you, Will. It reminds me of when someone, um, there may be their spouse that just passed away. Sometimes there's no words that we can say just by sitting with them can speak volumes. Someone once said that um, preach a good sermon, but if necessary, talk. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a quite a good statement, actually. Okay, so really what we've, um, we're admonished to do is to, to talk to people in truth but always in humility and with love. And uh, just we've got a couple of closing texts. So 2 Timothy 4.2. Um, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I found uh, this text really interesting. 2 Timothy is really Paul's, we would almost say his epitaph. He is actually talking to his dear son in Christ, Timothy, and saying, my time is up. These are the things that I want to leave with you. When he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out out of season, I think there's a number of things involved there, Helen. Number one, there is a right time to preach, shall we say, the truth, which is Jesus Christ. But there is another time when we have to be very, very, recognizing where people are. Um, There was an example used that if a person um, had suffered a loss, that would be not a good time to be spending time maybe in giving them a study on what God's word teaches about the state of the dead. Uh, We need to be sympathetic to where people are. I think Paul is saying to Timothy here, my dear friend, be ready always to present the word of God but be ready to present it in season and out of season. That means there is a right time and God will reveal to you that right time. And there is another time when it's perhaps best to be silent and just love them and show them the compassion 
that Jesus had. Then he adds uh, reprove, rebuke, correct, and all the rest of it, but always do it in the right spirit. I think there's a message for us in 2020. It's not what we say. It's not just how we say it. I believe it's the attitude in which we say it that's very important. Thank you, Brenton. I think we need to uh, finalise our study today. Just before you go into that, Helen, uh, quickly I want to say this uh, about the truth because, yeah, uh, we're probably running out of time uh, here but uh, don't have much left to really talk a little bit more about the, the truth and how to share the truth and what truth is. And I did another program um, recently about uh, is there truth in a pluralistic world when uh, everyone believes that their own uh, understanding and they, they you know is the truth? Or the, is there an an uh, ultimate, or how to say that, another good word to describe the um, truth. Is, which is there is an ultimate truth? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, an ultimate truth that yeah. God wants us to share because we can come across many situations and ideologies and teachings of this world, everyone holding on on their own understanding and considering that truth. I believe in the context of what we were studying today here, our attitude towards other people, and then how to guide and direct in the whole truth, is to really focus on Jesus himself. There are many Christians in uh, in this world and they have different understanding. And there are many other religions which they will believe in their uh, own understandings. And they will say, you know what, doesn't really matter. As long as you get there, referring to heaven or whatever. And a little story here says, which I disagree with the, with the principle, says, doesn't matter which path you take to reach the top of a mountain, as long as you get there on the top of the mountain. I disagree with this because in the Bible, it's only one way. To get to heaven. Now, even if for those people who don't believe in Bible, they are not Christians. There is still only one way if you want to, to have eternal life. You cannot reach that through different ways, various ways. And this is the thing which, how can we establish here? What is truth? Probably we may, in the next uh, programs, we'll be able to even um, emphasize and talk a little bit more about this. But yeah, over to you, Helen. Have I got time to do a quick summary? Yes. Okay. I was just going to say that God often surprises us because he works in ways and places that we wouldn't expect. If we had eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand, we will sense the Holy Spirit's working in the lives of other people around us. And the scales will fall from our eyes and we will see others through Jesus' eyes. Christ saw people not as they were but as they might become refined and ennobled by his grace. He believed in them, so they rose to meet his expectations. And in view of that, I'd like to just say in summary, just a couple of principles of developing a winning attitude. Number one, ask Jesus to impress you that all people have spiritual longings and are winnable to Christ. Number two, seek to develop positive, Christ-centered relationships with those in your sphere of influence. Number three, pray for opportunities to share divine truths And number four, present biblical truths in the context of loving relationships. Let's pray. 
Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, this is an important lesson and there are many things that we need to learn. But first and foremost, we want to thank you for your words and thank you for the lesson. I pray that we will take it into our hearts, each one of us, and uh, that we will fulfill the commission that you've called us to do. But may we follow your example, Lord, in in um, witnessing to others. May we be loving and lovable Christians, Father, and may people see that we spend time with you and in turn, we can lift you up to them and your promises, you will draw them to you. Bless each one now, I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, everyone, for your input. Uh, I believe this um, will uh, really challenge us to not only have a winning attitude, but to understand and to believe that we are winners. We are victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that um, everyone will experience that and will be able to shine the great uh, light of Jesus Christ around us all. Until next time, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.